I was thinking about uh, something. That there's a quote at the, um, in the beginning of The uh, Godfather. I forgot what the official term for that is. You know those quotes uh, just at the beginning of the book, right before the book starts, before the title page? Um, and Because uh, I recently saw this movie, again, The Godfather, for I don't know how many, like 10 times in my life. Great movie. But the quote uh, Mario Puzo uses from Balzac, and it said, The world is a comedy to those who think and a tragedy to those who feel. Right. Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. So whatever struggles we have, and uh, <clears throat> they are many, um, there's always the mundane, right? So uh, don't uh, don't let me forget to uh, pick. A, today is a 30% sale at Rite Aid, only for today. So uh, don't let me forget. I have to pick up um, 
some uh, refresh Optiv uh, drops, and I have to get some Ricola um, throat lozenges, so just in case I forget. Um, there was this interesting article in the paper the other day. And when I say the paper, of course, I mean the New York Times. I don't read any other paper. Um, uh, I get a lot of news off the Internet, like most people do these days. But since I'm an old guy, I like newspapers. It's just what's really sad is if you've been around, uh, you know, and you've been reading newspapers since you were a kid. I started reading the Times um, in 1956. <laughs> yes. In the age of dinosaurs. And um, it was gigantic, fat. Every newspaper was huge. I mean, that's where you got your news from, and then TV news and whatever. But uh, now the paper, because everything is being shifted online, and papers are basically losing money, or at least the New York Times is. On their print copy, everything is going. Uh, so it gets thinner and thinner all the time. And uh, for me, it's corresponding with my, uh, with my old age. But I hate to see it go because it's um, such a symbol of things to me. Anyhow, so much for that. There was an article in the Times the other day, um, and it was called New Way for Therapists to Get Inside Heads, Virtual Reality. Uh, and it talks about a psychologist. Her name is Dawn Jewell. Dawn Jewell uh, recently cr- uh, treated a patient haunted by a car crash. The patient had developed acute anxiety over the cross streets where the crash occurred, unable to drive a route that carried so many painful memories. So Dr. Jewell a psychologist in Colorado, treated the patient through a technique called exposure therapy, providing emotional guidance as they, she and uh, the patient, revisited the intersection together. But they weren't going there, obviously. The shrink wasn't going with the patient to the intersection. But they did not physically return to the site. They revisited it through virtual reality, virtual reality. Um, you know those uh, goggles? You know about virtual reality? Um, Virtual reality, the term includes a lot of things. But uh, there are these goggles that different companies make, and you put them on, and they completely surround your eyes and your forehead and, you know, um, <laughs> come down over your nose, and you're in another world. I mean, with the astounding graphics and the sound and the way people can create almost like another world. Uh, so if you're playing video games or taking a trip to space or you go into a jungle or something like that or imagining you are, then it all flashes before your eyes. The rest of the world, the real world, quote-unquote, is blocked out, and then you're in this other world. There was this, what was this? Um, it was a little bit like um, this um, movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I forget the name of it now, where he goes, you go to, people would go to a place to take these really expensive vacations, and they would be um, plugged into uh, a kind of a virtual reality, which made them, when they pulled out of it, they thought that they had actually been to space, or they were... You know, they, they were a great hero in, uh, in some war someplace. I forget the name of it now. But anyhow, um, virtual reality, which has been around for a while. Oh, Total Recall, right. Thank you. It's called Total Recall, which is not a bad movie, actually. Um, anyhow, Dr. Jewell here, the psychologist, is among, a handful, is among a handful of psychologists testing a new service from Silicon Valley, a startup called Limbix. Uh, that offers exposure therapy through something called Daydream View. <laughs> daydream View. What a day for a daydream. <clears throat> the Google headset that works in tandem with a smartphone. Okay, uh, The headset that works in tandem with a smartphone. It provides exposure in a way that patients feel safe, she said. We can go to a location together, of course not actually, and the patient can tell me what they're feeling and what they're thinking. And um, 
The service re recreates outdoor locations by tapping into another Google product, 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 product. In fact, this article is in the business section, of course. And the other Google product is Street View, a vast online database of photos that delivers panoramic scenes of roadways and other locations around the world. Using these virtual – I have used that a couple of times, I think. So I know people who have used that. Using these virtual street scenes, Dr. Jewell – has treated a second patient who struggled with anxiety after being injured injured by another person outside a local building. Polite word. Attacked, beat up. Um, now, let's see. There's, there's other ways that uh, treatment can be provided. Um, I mean, different kinds of things. These are, you know, like phobias that people develop, right? Phobias. Like um, virtual reality can take, not for real, but in your goggles, they are lifelike, can take people patients to the top of a virtual skyscraper so they can face a fear of heights or, listen to this, to a virtual bar so they can address an alcohol addiction. So, I mean, exposure therapy, if it was like all the way harsh and in the real world, you would walk into a bar or hang out in a bar if you were an alcoholic, which I'm sure is not advisable. And uh, then you would, uh, you know, walk out and um, it would be a way of um, desensitizing yourself to the uh, whatever the snares and the traps and the lures are of things. You would just say, okay, it's another place. They're serving drinks. doesn't bother me anymore. But I think most people, uh, I wouldn't know, but I think most people who are in AA stay out of bars. Probably a good idea. Anyhow, um, but in this case, it's a virtual bar. So, And these things are extremely lifelike. I mean, have you ever played video games or anything you see online? Uh, even if you're not uh, involved in the technology, you put these goggles on, People say, you know, they're in another world. And I think people are using them increasingly, but not as much as the businesses want them to, Google and other places. Their sales apparently were of these things, or usage has been disappointing. Anyhow, as far back as the mid-1990s, clinical trials showed that this kind of technology, this virtual reality stuff, could help treat phobias and other conditions like post-traumatic stress disorder, which is even more interesting to me because that's... Uh, I think, uh, you know, on, a, on a, a continuum, a phobia is a terrible thing, right, whatever. But um, it's uh, on a continuum, it gets worse and worse and worse. And post-traumatic stress disorder is like uh, the king of all phobias, you know. Um, it's the worst of the worst. Anyhow, traditionally, psychologists have treated such conditions by helping patients imagine they are facing a fear, mentally creating a situation where they can address their anxieties. Virtual reality takes this a step further. And here's a quote. We feel pretty confident that exposure therapy using VR, virtual reality, can supplement what a patient's imagination alone can do. Well, why not? You know, I mean, if you're sitting there and you're, you're in, let's say, in a therapist's office and they ask you to imagine what it was like in combat or imagine what it was like at some really awful moment in your life. I mean, either it was one horrible incident or repeated Abuse, I mean, this could be the worst of the worst, right, that you lived through or that you saw um, or even that you did. Uh, there was this uh, great scene in, um, in this movie, uh, House of Cards, in this movie, TV series, House of Cards, where one of the, there's a guy running for president. I forget his name. He's running for president on the Republican ticket. And he, was, uh, uh, he got a medal uh, over in Iraq because he had rescued some men. I think he was a lieutenant, and he rescued some men in his squad who were surrounded or trapped, and there was a battle, and he brought them out. 
and it turns out it might have been a lie or whatever. But even so, he had an advisor when he was running for president who was in, an ex-general who had been in Iraq, who had been in combat. Maybe he was a colonel or a general at the time. And he put these goggles on, and there, and there are these virtual reality of them actually in combat in, in Iraq or someplace else. And it was causing him tremendous uh, uh, agitation to see this over again. Part of the agitation was, am I giving something away? I don't know. That he might not have actually been there or he might not have actually done that. But anyhow, he might have been. And uh, the general was saying to him that he uses this thing as a therapy tool because of the trauma he had experienced in combat over in Afghanistan. Uh, it was Afghanistan, not Iraq. All right, so the uh, psychologist here is saying, we feel pretty confident that exposure therapy using virtual reality can supplement what a patient's imagina imagination alone can do. Yes, pictures are worth a million words. Said Skip Rizzo, a clinical psychologist at the University of Southern California, who has explored such technology over the past 20 years. Virtual reality was just as effective as trips to airports in treating the fear of flying, just as effective, with 90% of patients eventually conquering their anxieties. So presumably, somebody's afraid to fly. They put on the virtual reality goggles. Uh, they are up in the air. They're getting on a plane. They're flying uh, uh, in their goggles there, and the noise and uh, whatever it is they feel. They're sharing these feelings, these terrors, whatever, with the therapist who's sitting right next to them or right across from them. And this cured 90% of patients who, like I say, presumably went to the airport after that, on, get on a real plane, and weren't that scared to do it. They could do it. Anyhow, such technology has also been effective in treating post-traumatic stress disorder among veterans. That's where it seems really strange or difficult to me, but what would I know, not having ever been a veteran? Unlike treatments built solely on imagination, Dr. Rizzo said, virtual reality can force patients to face their past traumas. And here's an important comment from him. PTSD, he said, is a disorder of avoidance. People don't want to think about it, she said. Oh, she said. Hmm, it must be a different doctor. I crossed something out. Anyhow, the psychologist said, PTSD is a disorder of avoidance. People don't want to think about it, she said. We need them to be engaged emotionally, and with virtual reality, it's harder for them to avoid that. So presumably, if the, if the patient is just recalling this in their imagination, they can use whatever defenses or whatever defenses are available to them not to feel it, not to feel it. Or if you're just talking to a therapist, you can, um, you know, you're already well defended maybe. So you talk in a kind of a, uh, you know, a cool, maybe objective voice, but that's not what you're really feeling underneath. What cuts through all this and makes you feel it is putting these goggles on. I think maybe sometime is a good idea for me to try this. Although, I don't know, that part of what I wanted to talk about is I think there are some places you wouldn't want to go back to and visit. You know, they were just too awful. Anyhow, oh, this is Dr. Jules talking. Okay, so she said, uh, Dr. Jules said it allowed patients to face their anxieties in more controlled ways than they otherwise could. At the same time, such a tool can truly give patients the feeling that they are being transported to different locations. I don't know if I could handle that. I always had trouble even uh, smoking pot or taking any kind of drug that uh, distorted my reality because my reality is something which I hold on to very tenuously anyhow. My, real my reality is always on the verge of being distorted or is distorted. 
So anything that adds to that, which is more sort of out of my control, not something I think I can handle. I know a lot of people who take drugs don't mind that. Oh, I've been on a trip, you know. I, you know I, I mean, like, you know, they smoke pot or whatever, or they take LSD, or they go on a trip someplace. And, uh, no, I don't want to be any, on any more trips. <laughs> is, there, is there something I can take uh, that I could smoke, although I can't smoke, something I could take that would actually um, take me back to reality? I don't know. Uh, experts warn, uh, this is important, experts warn that um, uh, that to do this, is virtual reality, you know, uh, to go backwards, requires the guiding hand of a trained psychologist, okay? It requires, it requires a guide. Uh, yeah, right. That's absolutely true, I bet. Um, let's see. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about how uh, somebody who had a fear of flying, uh, a case in point, had, had conquered that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is, um, this kind of stuff, it's the most modern kind of technology, but it's really not a new thing in the world at all, right? People have been going, I mean, even before therapists, before psychoanalysts, people have been going, and, and before people <coughs> who, uh, who are known, let's say, in a neighborhood or in a family, you have somebody who's extremely sensitive or somebody's well-known among a circle of friends for listening and for guiding you, for helping you out, usually an older person, more experienced. But this goes back to prehistory, before things were written down. This goes back to when people um, lived in caves, you know, and uh, the people had to build this kind of information on evidence that they found. But later on, there was a kind of um, a continual... Um, continual, um, you know, sort of archaeological or anthropological uh, chain of evidence that goes down over the, um, the millennia. And um, it goes back all the way to, um, to, um, to shamans, to ancient shamans. Uh, a shaman, somebody, I actually I find a definition of it here in the, um, in the Wikipedia. But uh, I'm thinking of, um, first of all, we're talking here about the power of an image. And everybody always understood about the power of an image. Before there was um, written language, there were certainly, there were images. There were cave paintings and other images. And uh, they were symbolic and they were stark and they were graphic and they had powerful effects on people because images are that powerful. Uh, words uh, can be very powerful, but they are filtered through, straight through a certain part of your brain. If I was more educated, I'd know what it is. But words come straight through a part of your brain and you can filter them, and they can um, be diverted, or often they can be uh, unattached to emotions that you would feel. Although, if you're open to feeling them, a powerful writing, powerful dialogue in a play, or powerful, powerful writing uh, in a novel or someplace, can shake you completely. I mean, it's done that to me, and I think it's done it to other people too. But an image, an image that is graphic, and uh, you know, a lot of images these days are overdone. And the opposite effect is happening is people are desensitized to horror or to violence. I mean, there are images every day, everywhere, on TV, on YouTube, in the newspapers, in black and white in color, almost everything in color, uh, of people being blown up in suicides, of, uh, of uh, mass murders, of terrorist attacks to the point where people, uh, you know, where the image itself loses power. But not always completely. So an image can be uh, more overpowering than anything that you can take in as far as words or dialogue. And I'm thinking the second thing is in terms of virtual reality, this article, 
is therapists really are modern shamans. This is a, you know, a modern shaman in a way. And what is a shaman according to uh, Wikipedia? Shaman is a member of certain traditional societies, especially of Northern Asia and of North and South America, which is interesting when you think of the migration patterns, ancient migration patterns, who acts as a medium between the visible world and an invisible spirit world, right? an in-between person, and who practices magic or sorcery for purposes of healing, divination, and control over natural events. Right. I, you know, a shaman. Um, I, I once went to, uh, speaking of uh, images being powerful, or uh, certainly three-dimensional images, I, when I was a kid, my father used to take me um, to the Museum of Natural History, the American uh, Museum of Natural History, uh, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And um, they had uh, dioramas there. I don't know, I haven't been there in decades. I, haven't, I used to bring my kids there. I lived around the corner at 76th Street, and the museum is at 77th, 78th Street. And I used to take my kids to visit, and they still had these great uh, dioramas in the Museum of Natural History. Diorama being these um, lifelike uh, na nature scenes or scenes of uh, men doing certain things in ancient cultures. Uh, and they were, uh, they were worked on by genius artists. You know, the, the mud or the water that was in there, if it was a pond, looked real. Uh, the grass looked real. It was, was real grass. They used real uh, elements whenever they could. They would have uh, animals in there, every kind of animal, uh, bear, grizzly bears, wolves, birds. These were actual grizzly bears, wolves, and birds that had been um, killed, and they had been um, brilliantly, I guess, um, you know, stuffed, and they had uh, you know, the glass eyes, but they looked real. They looked like they were going to pounce. A wolf looked like it was going to pounce, or it was going to... A uh, snake looked like it was going to strike. It was extraordinary, these dioramas. And I don't know if they still have them. I don't know. That would be a tremendous loss if, they, if people switched those things to, um, to only virtual reality. Because uh, these, these images, and they would have explanations at the bottom of the dioramas about what you were looking at. And there was one that so impressed me. And these things, of course, stay in your mind. They stay in your memory and in your gut if they're really powerful. And they did a lot of these. And um, one was a diorama of, the, uh, of an American Indian shaman, and he had feathers and paint, and looked like a rattle or a staff in one hand, or maybe it was a club. And he was inside a teepee, and um, on the ground, about a foot or two away from the shaman, there was a sick-looking man <laughs> who had, had come to the shaman, obviously, to be saved from his malady. And I don't know if it was uh, physical or spiritual, but it was no doubt both, since it always is, right? And the shaman was uh, uh, dressed and ready to meet the spirit, going to meet the spirit that was afflicting this man. And, of course, this is one of the most ancient things there is. I mean, think of uh, Jesus casting out devils. I mean, Jesus was uh, part of the reason people believed in him was because he was sort of like a magician. Anybody who could go around and cast out devils was considered somebody you might want to hook up with or somebody you might want to believe in. If you started talking about he had a way of living and you had a way of living uh, that would help you avoid these things or even cast out your own devils, then, you know, you gather followers that way. So, And there's that scene in the Bible where Jesus casts Satan out of somebody who's possessed. And where is he now that we need him? I know, I know. If you pray to him, he'll help you. 
I'm looking for him to actually step up. <laughs> if Jesus came back down to earth and started casting out devils, starting with uh, Putin and Trump and, uh, you know, pre- Premier or President Xi of China, then, and if it worked, I would, I would uh, start to believe in him myself. Anyhow, but the, the shaman, there was a whole way of dealing with things. I mean, there was all these rituals, and the shaman had to be a very strong person spiritually, morally, right? And the shaman would meet the spirit on his or her own ground. Uh, and it was a life or death struggle. I mean, the patients that these people were dealing with were not just, um, these were people who were possessed by spirits or taken over by spirits, evil spirits, and no longer had a self of their own. And they were dangerous to themselves and to other people. And they could easily die. They were that sick in their mind and their bodies. And the shaman would get ready, put on the paint and the feathers, and had all these important rituals. Might take something hallucinogenic. Might take something hallucinogenic uh, to help him take the trip into another world or to induce a state where he could actually meet the spirits who lived in a different world, not, not our world. And it's a life and death struggle. And, um, you know, you could try this yourself. You could try meeting an evil spirit. If you're possessed by demons or have an evil spirit, brothers and sisters. You could try this yourself, but it's like the TV shows, you know, where people are driving like 100 miles an hour in in concentric circles next to other cars or jumping over hurdles. It says, don't try this at home. (laughs) It's not advisable to go meet demons that are possessing you or destroying your life on your own. You always need a guide. That's my opinion, is you always need a guide. You could try it on your own. You could take the hero's journey you know, a la Joseph Campbell, you know, the hero with a thousand faces, one of the best books ever written about this. You can take the hero's journey, but you have to pay attention to the signs. You have to really pay attention. And to have a guide, uh, and even there are guides in the hero's journey, but uh, it would be dangerous to do these things without a shaman or a professional guide. Uh, The other world is a tricky place. I mean, you really do need a guide. And think of all these great stories. You know, everybody always recognized this. Everybody always knew about this. Like in A Christmas Carol, uh, Scrooge, who was possessed by the demons of um, <clears throat> what? Of arrogance, of greed, of, uh, of uh, dehumanization for whatever reasons. Uh, Scrooge is guided to the past, to the present, and in the present and the future uh, by the ghosts. Ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And eventually this cures Scrooge. But he had to go into the past with a guide, with the ghost from the past. And I uh, had to go into the future and see what that was like, too. Finally, he gets back to the present, and um, he sees what needs to be done, and he does the right thing. But it was these trips he took. And in the Inferno, Dante is guided through hell by Virgil. And um, sort of like when you go down into the subway and they have service changes, uh, there are MTA employees to try to help you understand what's going on. You know, like if you're going to go into hell, you've you got to have somebody to try to help you out. And this is what priests and rabbis do. They intercede with God. They are advocates for poor earthbound souls, you know, all the rest of us who can't really, who don't have this habit and don't have this ability and don't have all the training. And with a priest, for instance, you go into a holy place, uh, that is if you believe it, right, and right away, you're giving yourself over to the spirit-connective relationship. Right away. You sit in a dark booth, uh, and it's like the murkiness of the area. This booth, 
that you're sitting in is like the murkiness of the area between the conscious and the unconscious, right? These things are all so ancient and so perfect and so universal. You know that it's all true. So you sit in this dark booth, and right away, you're not in the quote-unquote real world. You've entered a little bit into the spirit world, into that world between the unconscious and the conscious, between this world and the other world. And the priest, who is going to be your guide, if you believe, uh, is an intermediary between you and whatever it is out there, the devil, Satan, or it could be God or Jesus or Mary. You confess your sins, and the priests... The priest takes them from you on behalf of Jesus. I mean, that's what the whole deal was. Jesus was here to take all our sins on himself. Take that tremendous burden. And this is all symbolic. Carrying that cross around, covered with blood. He's taking on the sins of the world, all of us. And in, in small, <laughs> in, in the small uh, personal incidents, that's what therapists do. That's what the shamans do. And that's what, uh, that's what priests do. They take on, uh, in behalf of uh, Jesus, or, this, or even if it's not a religious thing, on behalf of whatever it is, the universe or uh, human and pure benevolence, they take your sins on themselves. They absorb your sins or take them away from you, and um, you are clean. You are free from these sins. And, you know, you might go away with uh, an amulet, you might go away with a mantra. You might go away with something you have to say or some beads you have to, uh, you know, have to uh, run through your hand and say things, certain prayers. Um, and, um, but this struggle is, um, like I say, it's universal, it's ancient, it's wide, it's deep. It covers every culture. For instance, there are vampire stories in every single culture. In South America, in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, there are vampire stories. And the vampire, if you look at it as a kind of distorted symbol of your fears and desires, guilty thoughts, urges, misdeeds, whatever, uh, when they are exposed to a light, when a vampire is exposed to light or dawn comes and then and, and he has been dragged out and can't back, get back to his, um, to his darkness, to the underworld, he is destroyed. And a shaman enters the underworld or spirit world on behalf of the sick person and pleads with usually uh, if it's a benevolent spirit, or matches wits with or fights to the death with a devil or an evil spirit. And this is a, this, these things are all connected, right? If a shaman is successful, the person is healed. You don't know that. When I was looking at the diorama in the Museum of Natural History and thinking about all the troubles I had in my life, uh, my father coming and going, and here he is taking me to see the shaman. And one of the things I'm struggling with, the demons, is that I hate my father because he took off and he was never around. So he comes and is being good to me, which I appreciated, you know, like I'm eight years old, by taking me for the afternoon to see this thing. And I'm thinking, I'd like to go into this teepee. I'd like to have this, sh I'd like to lie on the ground there myself and have the shaman go and fight uh, my father and drag him back to where I live. You know, this is what's going on. I'm standing there at the same time, torn between all these things. And, um, and uh, the shaman, so the shaman encounters the evil spirit in his own dark world and defeats him or drags him up into the light. And, uh, you know, so either he, he defeats the spirit. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes people will negotiate with spirits to leave you alone if you um, agree to give them something or you change your ways. But usually things have gotten so bad. You go to a shaman when things are really bad. You know what I'm saying? When, um, when you can't eat, 
when you can't sleep, when you can't walk straight, when you can't even talk to people, when you're foaming at the fucking mouth, you go to the shaman, right? You don't go there as a joke. You don't go there. The I Ching has one, um, when you're doing the I Ching, there's one that says, uh, don't bother, <laughs> don't bother the I Ching if you're not serious, right? You don't bother these people if you're not serious. You know, you just don't. Anyhow, the shaman will do this for you. He'll go down and fight with the uh, demon or drag them into the light where they're destroyed. And that's the way it works. You go, he goes down in the hole. He goes down in the hole for you. So you don't have to go down there yourself. Down in a hole. You've got to keep the devil down in a hole. Except the devil, uh, the devil doesn't like to lay around in holes. The devil, uh, after all, Satan, was cast down into the hole uh, by God because Satan wanted to become God and take over. He wanted to have a revolution and overthrow God. So there was a big war in heaven. And uh, that's right, boys and girls. There was a big war in heaven. And... Um, um, God said, I think it was to his head angel, who is the general, sort of like, um, you know, General uh, Kelly, you know, in the White House. He said to he said to uh, St. Michael, to General Michael, uh, he said, Mike, this guy, Satan, is uh, he's death to us all. 
got to get rid of him. And eventually uh, Satan and all his uh, hordes were uh, destroyed and uh, scattered and he was cast down in a hole. But the devil does not stay in the hole, which is the whole fucking point of the devil. The devil and his five billion other devil assistants uh, will not stay down in the hole. He will come back up all the time. Oh, by the way, a really terrific novel, a kind of a pop novel, not the greatest writing in the world, but it's, an, it's good enough to uh, get your attention and it's gotten the attention of, I don't know, tens of millions of other people, is Clan of the Cave Bear. Did you ever read that? It's a great, oh, it's a great book. You would, lo- you would love that book. And it's by a woman named Jean Aul, A-U-E-L. And it was, uh, the reason I'm mentioning this, even though it's kind of a pop novel, is that it's really a terrific story and it's based on a tremendous amount of research this woman did on what things may have been like based on the study of anything that's sort of familiar with that in history, uh, about, uh, about life, what it was like in a, life in a, in a cave way back in prehistoric times. And uh, the shaman in every tribe and in every cave that had, you know, which was sort of like its own little miniature tribe, had a huge high position in the clan and tribe, always very respected, feared, and honored, always. It's a big thing because think of it. The shaman is the one who, who is the intermediary between, and those people believed every single thing, every rock, every berry, every sound, uh, lightning, thunder, rain, uh, drought, an animal attack, uh, whether or not they would have a good hunt, whether somebody was going to get pregnant or not. There's a million things, every single thing, everything from waking, to sleeping, to illness, to death, was mediated and uh, understood by and discussed uh, with the shaman. So it's a big thing. And modern shamans really, when they're good, uh, are psychotherapists. They're the psychotherapist. They go down, uh, especially you know, like think of psychoanalysis, but they're going down into your childhood with you to face whatever demons are there. You, the, the whole point being that you revisit and relive the past and the, pre- and the present in a safe and trusting place with a guide, right? And this is like that virtual reality thing. You don't put that on and go through this thing and see this awful scene uh, where it could be some phobia, you know, or a car crash happened to you or you were um, um, attacked on the street or something, a mugging and it just left you or there was a robbery. You don't go back and do this without the help of a guide. And um, doing this kind of work, doing this kind of work, going back as a patient and then also as a shaman, as a psychotherapist, is the hardest work you could possibly do. There's nothing harder than I've ever done. I mean, for me, I can't speak for everybody. I mean, I'm not an example of everybody or a symbol of everybody. And what happens to me is probably pretty extreme and maybe sometimes unusual. I used to think it wasn't, but I do now. Um, and maybe, but maybe it isn't, right? Um, <clears throat> the hardest things I've ever had to do were to love people and to receive love uh, in return. That's the hardest thing I ever had to do. Second hardest thing I ever had to do was try to get a two-year-old child to do anything I wanted him to do. <laughs> Forget it. If you ever had a little kid who was around two years old, and uh, the struggle with them can just totally exhaust you to the point where uh, you want to go take a pill or something like that. But the other hardest work I've ever done, and I've done it over and over again in my life and had to do it and sort of like uh, – you know, being an alcoholic, where you have to every day takes learning how to live all over again, to paraphrase uh, the actress playing Calamity Jane in Deadwood. Every day takes learning how to live all over again. The hardest work I've ever done is to go down in the past 
go down to the, where all these awful things happened, all awful things happened, and come back up, but you have to do it with a guide. And imagine what it's like to be a shaman, to be a therapist who's really doing this. Imagine all the, the wrestling they do with everybody's demons day in and day out and trying to, uh, to help them face the demons and drag the demons into the light and, and help them back into a life where, a real life where they could do things. I mean, if people were really dedicated to doing this and they're really good at it and they really put themselves into it, they probably just could burn out unless they find ways to protect themselves, you know, therapists. But PTSD, PTSD. Um, now, there's a definition of PTSD. PTSD is a disorder of avoidance. People don't want to think about it. This is from the article, the original article about virtual reality. PTSD, said one of these psychologists, is a disorder of avoidance. People don't want to think about it. Right. Who would want to be constantly conscious of some awful thing or things that happened to them? It's natural to avoid thinking about them. But uh, you can't avoid it. The devil is in the hole, but the devil doesn't stay in the hole. It's always, you know, the, the devil is always there. And if you have something that you want to avoid, good luck to you. If it's really bad, you can't avoid it. Uh, there are ways you can take drugs, you can drink, you can be a workaholic, any kind of aholic, right? You could be a sexaholic, a workaholic. You can, um, <clears throat> you can stay busy uh, 25 hours a day, but it's not going to leave you alone until you actually, if it's that bad until you actually turn around and face it. I mean, um, uh, there's a, a wonderful book, uh, uh, sort of a sobering but wonderful little book called um, um, The Little Book on the Human Shadow by Robert Bly. If you never read this book, it's really worth uh, buying. Robert Bly, The Little Book on the Human Shadow. And he's saying that if you don't deal with this shit, uh, um, as soon as you can, as soon as you realize what it, what it might be uh, ruining your life, if you keep ignoring it, turning your back on it, if you drink, if you get involved in, no matter what, even if you get involved in some benevolent life, if you keep turning your back on it and you keep your back turned toward it, um, it's going to get you. And what happens is it builds up and up and up. The more it's down in the dark, and he envisioned a kind of a sack that you're carrying over your shoulder, a sack full of troubles. And um, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you get older, and you drag this giant sack around. And if it comes out when you're in your 50s, he said, or God forbid older, it, could, it can consume you. you don't, it's so big, you don't have the ways to deal with it. The Satchel Page, the famous American uh, <laughs> pitcher and spiritual master, Satchel Page, once said famously, don't look back something might be gaining on you, which is pretty funny when you think of it. That was his attitude. Don't look back. Something might be gaining on you, right? Uh, it is gaining on you. And looking back uh, or not looking back, not going to do you any good. You actually, I think what you have to do is you actually have to go turn around on this path you're on, this life path that we're all on. And if it's, it, that's if it's a really affecting your life. You know, I mean, if it's a, if it's a small neurosis or a phobia you don't have to go wrestling with demons, you know, just um, just do your best, right? It's okay, right? You have a, you have a drink, you go to work, uh, you uh, smoke pot, you uh, do whatever it is, you know, you watch TV shows um, and you do, do your best in the world, right? But if it's something that's actually ruining your life, if you can't, uh, if you can't deal with things, I mean, there was a, another article the other day about, um, in the paper about 
um, about a bunch of uh, combat veterans from Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan. From, I'm sorry, not Iran. Uh, hmm, God forbid. From Iraq and Afghanistan. And they had been through horrible traumatic scenes over there. A lot of redeployments, uh, guys who had been professional army uh, guys, you know, who had been, uh, who had, um, you know, been in for 10, 20 years, master sergeants, people like that. They have, uh, there's a national program now uh, where, where hikes are organized. And they came back from, um, they came back from these places. And, uh, you know, the Veterans Administration um, has ways of treating them. Um, you know, they give them, uh, they, they give them therapy and they give them a lot of pills. And um, it doesn't work. It doesn't help these people, and their lives are screwed up, and they wind up not being able to relate to people. They get divorces. There's uh, spousal abuse. Um, there is a violence. They're angry all the time. They're scared all the time. Hypervigilance, you know, PTSD of the worst sort that has occurred to millions of soldiers in wars before. Um, now it's much more recognized and treated, but the pills don't work. The therapy doesn't work. So these people for whom it didn't work uh, are taking to hiking way out in the wilderness in Colorado, up in the mountains, all kinds of other places. And they just live this life just purely with nature. They talk about what happened among themselves. This is done in groups. And um, they clean themselves out. This has been successful for a lot of people. They clean themselves out. They're able to actually uh, take, back, uh, take a, a step back and get a perspective on what happened. And they can do that. Um, but what I'm thinking about, what I'm wondering sometimes is, um, uh, are there things that are just too traumatic? I mean, are things just too traumatic sometimes? I mean, I know my own experience. There are things that happened to me when I was a child. And I've been taken by guides, by modern shamans, and taken down and in and faced them and uh, as best I thought I could. But I don't think I've ever been successful. Things happened to me in my childhood, like almost literally unrepeatable things over and over and over again. And if you lived in a time like this, I mean, if you lived in a time like this personally, if you lived in a house where there was molestation, abuse, there was beatings and all this stuff, if you witnessed insanity like I did and some other people have, attacks, all kinds of like horrible things when you were little, or what uh, if you lived in a place where there was constant warfare as a kid, you grew up and there were people being, look at look what goes on in the world now. Imagine being... Um, anybody, an adult, but imagine being even a child in, Afghan in Kabul, in Afghanistan. Every week, somebody, some lunatic who believes he's going to go see God and God damn him for believing it, blows people up, men, women, and children. Who are these people? This insanity, you know? And why is God dragged into it? People pray to God and then go blow themselves up so they can go to heaven. Really? <laughs> and then other people say... Um, God will save us from these people. What's God got to do with it? You know, what's God got to do with it? Nothing. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so let's say something was really, really awful. Could you, would you want to go back? When you put these goggles on, do you want to go back to the scene of a rape, of being molested over and over again? Would you want to go back to um, a concentration camp in World War II if you were in a concentration camp? and witness all that over again? I mean, they can do anything with the graphics and the goggles. I don't know if that does any good. I mean, what good would it do? What good would it do? I mean, um, there are children, there was an article in the paper, too, about, it says, uh, new dangers stalk Syrian children haunted by horrors of ISIS. And there were children there who were reporting that they were 
seeing beheadings. They were ordered to go out on the street and see beheadings by ISIS. And um, it was mandatory. You had to see it. And if you didn't, uh, they would play um, videos of beheadings in uh, mosques, right? For the edification of God, I guess, Allah. And uh, they, uh, you know, uh, suggested that all these people go see the uh, videos of beheadings over and over and over again. What if you grew up this way? Do you really want to go back and see this? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if visualization would help you with that. Uh, I don't know what happens with people like that. But if you do go back, anytime you do go back to one of these places and, um, you know, you wrestle with it, you have to know one thing. If you're going to wrestle with a spirit, even if you've you got a shaman along as a guide, if you're going to wrestle, especially on your own, though, with a, with a, with a spirit, with a, with a powerful spirit, whether good or bad, you've got to know that you don't get off free. It's like Jacob wrestling with the angel of God, or was it God? Yeah, he, Jacob had knowledge and wisdom afterwards, but he always walked with a limp. You're going to be different. You're going to be different if you go back and wrestle with these things. And um, the best you can do is when you come back, you accept uh, the price that you have to pay, and the path will keep on winding, but you'll never be the same person. You can't unknow the things that you saw during that struggle. evil lurks in the hearts of men. <laughs> the shadow knows. I am Dracula. Oh, it's really good to see you. I don't know what happened to the driver and my luggage and... Well... And with all this, I, I thought I was in the wrong place. I bid you welcome. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. Whenever I feel afraid, I hold my head erect and whistle a happy tune so no one will suspect I'm afraid. While shivering in my shoes, I strike a careless pose and whistle a happy tune and no one ever knows I'm afraid. The result of this deception is very strange to tell For when I fool the people I fear, I fool myself as well I whistle a happy tune and every single time The happiness in the tune convinces me that I'm not afraid Make believe you're brave and the trick will take you far you may be as brave as you make believe you are. You may be as brave as you make believe you are. I think that's a 
once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman. She drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky a titanic monster whose fearsome touch became a frightful curse. You think I'm drunk, don't you? All of you! I'm not drunk! I'm not! You've got to believe me! Please. It was right in the middle of the highway, 30 feet tall! Once she's in the booby hatch, throw the key away. That'll put you in the driver's seat. You'd make a wild driver, Harry. With 50 million bucks. What she saw was beyond belief until others, too, faced its hideous, uncontrollable menace. Attack of the 50-foot woman, incredibly huge, with incredible desires for love and vengeance. What a drag it is getting old. Kids are different today, I hear every mother say, mother needs something today to come Yeah, pills. <laughs> Give me some more pills. Give me some Percocets. Anything so I don't have to think about or, uh, you know, I don't have to feel it. Comedy to think and a tragedy to those who feel. What if it's both? Anyhow, I think this new technology, this virtual technology, having been in therapy my entire life and imagining things and actually going through special trance-like states to deal with PTSD, this thing is great. I have to look into this. Maybe I could afford to do it. I believe this virtual technology could be really terrific. Uh, and uh, I think it could probably help a lot of people. As long as you have a guide. I would never advise doing this on your own, uh, on what little experience I have in doing these trance states and going back into face whatever demons there are. 
But, you know, maybe people are strong enough or brave enough to do it on their own. I don't know. Anyhow, thanks again for listening. Uh, This is Mike Fader. And uh, if you want to check out anything else that I do, look at my website. It's the Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com. Also very important, if you like this show or any of my other shows, please refer these to other people so I can get more and more listeners until I own the entire earth. It's all right Riding around in the breeze Well, it's all right If you live the life you please Well, it's all right Doing the best you can Well, it's all right As long as you lend a hand You can sit around and wait For the phone to ring Waiting for someone to tell you everything Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring Maybe a diamond ring Well, it's all right Even if they say you're wrong Well, it's all right Sometimes you gotta be strong Well, it's all right As long as you got so much to live Somewhere down the road when somebody plays Purple Haze It's alright Even when push comes to shove It's alright If you got someone to love It's alright Everything will work out fine It's alright We're going to the Glad to be here, happy to feel that. And it don't matter if you're by my side. I'm satisfied. Well, it's all.